Hi, I'm Phil Trethaway. Hi, I'm Serena Joel. You're listening to the Creativity Speaks podcast, where Serena and I explore the stories of Sacramento's creative community. Serena has produced and marketed some of your favorite Sacramento events. And Phil is the co-founder of Creativity Plus and creative director of Position Interactive, a digital design agency. Each season of Creativity Speaks focuses on a different theme. This quarter, we are focusing on the theme of community. Thanks for listening. We hope these discussions are enlightening, inspiring, and spark a few conversations in your home and your workplace. If you're interested in being a sponsor of this podcast, email us at creativityplus, that's P-L-U-S, Sacramento, at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of Creativity Speaks. Today, we are super excited to be joined by Maritza Davis. She's an entrepreneur, businesswoman, a visionary determined to do good, music lover, traveler, mother, and so much more, including the co-founder of Unseen Heroes and currently the vice president of Experiences and Social Responsibility for the Sacramento Kings. Maritza, welcome to Creativity Speaks. Let's start off with how your upbringing shaped your view of community. Hi, well, I'm glad to be here. This is very exciting. So my upbringing, well, I was born and raised here in Sacramento, California, and uh, was in an area, South Sacramento. To me, it was home. To our family, it was home. And I had a lot of really amazing influence in, in terms of family around me. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. They had immigrated here from Mexico. My my grandmother had her first four children in Mexico, and she called my grandfather one day and said, or maybe wrote, I don't know how that worked out, actually, their communication. But anyways, <laughs> the, the story will go, they called each other, and she said, you better come and get me and these four kids, or you're not going to see them again. And so he agreed. He was in Chicago at the time, and then he said, fine, came and got them and had a cousin in Sacramento and, and they ended up buying their first home here and raising their first four kids and then had four more here in Sacramento. And so, you know, when grandchildren came along, I was kind of the middle of the older bunch. There were about, I don't know, there was a million cousins, I feel, but <laughs> we all grew up together. <laughs> we're, you know, Mexican household, there was about, you know, there was cousins and, and aunts, uncles everywhere. And what was really beautiful was that we just kind of all worked together. You know, we've got to watch as our grandparents built their business. They sent all their kids to private school. And in the mornings we'd wake up and, and what my grandfather did, he was like the Swanson man for Mexican families. He basically sold products and goods, grocery products and goods out of his van. And we would go and pack food, bread, cheese, rice, beans. And my aunts and uncles would go out and routes. And on Wednesdays, we'd go to the flea market and we'd all go as a family. And I remember when I was old enough, they let me be in charge of the candy station. And so I always joke, I'm like, I was the cheek legger. I'd be like, get in cheek But it was really fun. You know, you just don't know like different as a kid. You just have fun. You're with family. Um, we had a you know community of people that knew my grandparents. They would stop by. My grandfather was a really social person, so he always liked to have little festivities at the house. And he passed when we were younger, and and I think I was probably about five years old. And then my grandmother took it on, and really just watching her every move, she was just kind of a Wonder Woman. Really, she took care of all the grandchildren. She had you know 
her kids, my mom, my aunts and uncles, and she made sure everyone was just fed and taken care of and that we were all just being able to be supported in any way that she could support. Being raised in a family that has that kind of matriarch as well as just having this like extension of family. It's funny because when I was in elementary school, they said, draw a picture of your family and list them all. Well, my family to me was my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, even some of our like extended family that really wasn't blood family, but people in our neighborhood. And my teacher came around, she's like, whoa, well, I just mean like your mom, your dad. I'm like, but that's not my, that's not the only people in my family. I have this like long list of of folks. So that's a little bit about like the younger years. I mean, later down the line, you know, my parents had some, they're just really cute, cool people. Um, My mom and dad met when my mom was in a beauty pageant. My dad worked for Univision. He was a news anchor. And so they uh, met at a beauty pageant that she was in and they kind of fell in love and had us at a very young age. And then my dad was in in television. You know, he would take us to his different productions when he'd be reporting sometimes or we'd go to events with him. So really a lot of that like taste of events, entrepreneurship, seeing someone in the spotlight. You know, my dad interviewed everyone from Selena to Gloria Stefan to, I mean, you name it. He was kind of like all over the place. You know, my mom was just kind of a powerhouse too. She wanted to just do really well. and she worked really hard. And when they divorced, she, you know, she was a single mom for a while. And so my dad could pursue his television career and she just was incredible. So being a part of my family, like in having all these really great people around me really helped shape, I think who I am today and, and what I do. Fascinating upbringing and and so much like exposure to the people in your community, like through being, you know, food is such a network of community, right? I know so much entrepreneurship in your family. When we were talking earlier in a previous conversation, you talked about the early days of Unseen Heroes and that you're motivated by a love of design, a love of your city, and Nievite, right? And this Nievite really resonates with me. And I think there's a special magic in doing things you're not qualified to do and that no one ever gave you permission to do. And some amazing things happen when you kind of jump into that space. What's your advice beyond just do it? Because like, yeah, right, sure, there's advice of like, just go do the thing, right? What's your advice for people wanting to do these cool creative things, but feeling underqualified or awaiting permission? I think first to like address the underqualification, I always tell people, sometimes you are underqualified and that's okay. That's the beauty of it. There's space for everybody at every level, but you also need to know where to be in that space. And one of my colleagues just said, you just don't fear anybody. I'm like, no, why would I? You know, we're all humans making our way through this world, doing our best. Don't fear anybody. But what I do do is I respect a lot of people and what they do. When you don't feel, quote unquote, qualified to do something, that's okay. You know, you have to try it. Mentorship, finding people that, you know, are supportive around you, connecting with people beyond just kind of like the surface level is extremely important and learning. Like we're all students, even as, you know, for me being in my career, having all the experiences that I've had, I still am a student of life. It would be so boring to think that I knew it all because There's so many avenues, so many areas to become an expert in, but also just to know about. 
no one knows everything. And I think that there's always opportunity to grow and, and just know, you know, where you are when you're kind of getting started in terms of like being underqualified or not qualified enough. What was the second thing you said? I totally blanked out right now. Advice for people who are wanting to do cool, creative things, but feeling underqualified or kind of awaiting permission. Yes. Okay. The waiting permission. That's the one. <laughs> permission is such a funny word to me and it's very valid, I think in some ways, but when you're a creative person, if you're going to wait for permission, no one's going to give it to you. It's just not going to be handed to you. If you are innovative and creative and thoughtful and trustworthy, people will align themselves and want to follow. And sometimes it takes doing little things to build up to it versus just trying to go out of the gate doing something massive, right? And I think that's for all of us to learn is like, can I be successful doing this huge project that I've never done before? And that's usually where people fail, right? And, and failure is great. But if you're waiting for permission to do things, especially as a creative, typically you'll talk yourself out of it or other people will talk you out of it. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, even with my own like husband or parents, like I said, I'm going to go do this, right? I'm going to go make this move. And they'd be like, well, wait a second, Bob. I'm like, I'm not here to ask you permission. I'm here to tell you this is what's going to happen. And if I fall, I just going to need your help <laughs> to get back up and keep, keep on going. So what's an early story of something that you had no right to do, but you're like, heck, I'm doing it. Probably being an entrepreneur is like that first time where I didn't wait for permission for someone. It was very nerve wracking in some regard. And I'll just give you kind of like two short stories. I think first one I chose to like 100% leave the career I was in. So my, my husband and I, we met in college. We start to work together when he's in a band. We start building the brand of his band and then get people who are excited about it and want us to help them build their brand. And we decide to start a business. And it was kind of like, you know, that side hustle thing. So it's just like, okay, well, we'll try this out. I'll just speak for myself. When I decided to move away from the career that I was that I was kind of stuck in, <laughs> if you will, I was, I chose to be like, go into restaurant management for the Hillstone restaurant group. I call it the Nordstrom of the restaurant groups. It was a fantastic experience. I mean, I learned so much in that space, you know, and my parents were like, stay there. You're making great money. Oh my gosh. Like you're making this amount of money in your twenties. Like imagine in the next four or five years, they'll be making more money than 50 year olds because they just paid very well there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, the money sounds good. But from a lifestyle perspective, it sucked. I was working crazy hours. I was on my feet all day. I never got to see my family. When I was off, I was taking my clothes to the dry cleaners, getting something to eat. And I would go home and go to sleep basically all day because I was just so tired. And it just wasn't the lifestyle I, I wanted. So when I decided to completely leave this career, this full-time job with benefits and a paycheck and all that good stuff, I mean, literally, I think my parents thought I was insane. They tried to talk me out of it. Multiple people tried to talk me out of it. And to me, it was like, no, this is what I need to do. This is what's right. I think the second time was there was a, another opportunity that came up when I was with a, a magazine to do their events. And I had just had my first son. And I remember kind of this like feeling so 
when we opened our business, it was 2008. It was the economic downturn, but we didn't know different. Like broke was broke and we were college students. And even though I was making good money, I was still paying off debt. I was paying off a lot of stuff. So ultimately later, you know, I took another position just to make ends meet as we were continuing to build the company. And then I had my son, our middle son. And I remember there was this moment too, where it just wasn't aligning. And I went in to go meet like two months after I had him and I walked away from that position. So here I am a new mother again, doing fine financial, all that stuff, but just walking away from it all. And that was the last time I ever worked for somebody, you know, during, during that period of time. And we just went full force. And literally, I remember I got in the car and I just started crying and I looked at my husband, I go, Oh my God, I just quit my job. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it's now sink or swim. And he's like, don't worry, we'll swim. And I'm like, okay, good. Because we have no other choice. Like we have two kids now and we got to make this work. And so, you know, we just went for it. And those moments were so scary, but also so rewarding because you're owning it. You're just doing what you want to do. You're doing what you know, what's right in your heart. And at that point too, I knew I was an expert in some areas and I really wanted to continue to like grow my expertise. And so I made an effort to do that. Ask for forgiveness sometimes, not permission. You know, it's just better off that way in, in most cases, not all. You talk about a career change. So you also recently did a little bit of a career change as well. You joined the Sacramento Kings team during a really pivotal time here in Sacramento. Can you explain to our listeners what was happening and how that led you to join the team? Yeah, so there was so much happening at that time. I think it it was interesting because you don't know what you don't know, right, in some regard. So it's 2018 and... You know, that particular year for Unseen was extremely fruitful. We had opened, I'd opened a second retail store. We were building our men's brand. So we were getting ready to open a third retail space. Additionally, we were talking to Doco, getting a second display in the downtown area, which was our original retail brand. So early 2018 was extremely fun. There was so much happening at that time. On the event agency side, we were flourishing. I mean, there was just so much happening. We were doing, God, it was so many events. I, I, it's like hard to wrap my head around, honestly. And in Sacramento, it was a, a young man gets killed in his grandmother's backyard, a gentleman by the name of Stephon Clark. And a client that we had, you know, calls us in on, on a meeting and we kind of start working behind the scenes, just listening to so many of our leaders here in Sacramento, specifically, you know, leaders in, in the black community and, and beyond really that work within a lot of the underserved areas we start kind of thinking through what can we do for kids that helps violence prevention and helps them feel a part of this like larger community and the synergy that could occur out of devastation. And so that's where this idea of the Kings and Queens Rise Basketball League came up. And we had so many amazing community partners and we're building this basketball league really from scratch. All of us that were involved had zero expertise on building, you know, sports leagues. We were all like former athletes in high school and college, but nowhere near building anything but programs, businesses, initiatives. So we just kind of treated it that way. It was amazing. 
And so across national television, you see protests, the frustration, the devastation of a city going through this, um, the frustration of the Black community, seeing yet another young man, you know, killed, and especially in his grandmother's backyard, which is really traumatizing. And no matter how you kind of, how that story goes, it's just a lot. And so I get a call from the Sacramento Kings and we start talking and we've been, I became familiar with the team more so when we were doing the Kings and Queens Rise Basketball League, they were helping support and and players like Marvin Bagley when he was drafted, you know, were coming out. And so it was really great to see like our largest sports franchise, our only major league sports franchise in the city get involved in this. And so to me, I became like really excited about it. Then started talking to the team and you know, they were recruiting me over and, and asked me to come and really see what I could do and, and what sort of expertise I can lean in on there. And I really wasn't interested in my business. You know, our business was flourishing. I had multiple things occurring. You know, I'm a mother of three boys. So I also need to have a lot of flexibility in my life. And then, you know, it was probably around July, August. I decided to join the Sacramento Kings and and head up social responsibility and and their experiences. And it's been, I heard people going, oh my gosh, is your business like going to the shits? Or, you know, the other rumor I heard was like, my husband and I were getting a divorce. So I had to figure things out. I'm like, really people? Like, is this this so crazy? Uh, No, just, you know, here to help my city. I think what's most important out of this, out of any of this is, For me, I am super passionate about Sacramento. I love this city. I know we have so much potential. I believe and I've seen we are leaders in so much of the work that is done within communities. I think there's so much opportunity here and ways that people can work together. And so even in life, like in my family, they always call me kind of like the bridge to everybody. I feel that way also within our community. I have the experience of a young girl, you know, a young person growing up in South Sacramento and what is, you know, would now be considered an underserved community. Then it was home to me. And I've had the experience of working and being a part of, you know, really influential people and just being connected to so many of those folks. So I often feel like this bridge who really understands all these worlds that exist that seem so different, but are really very similar. So when you're with the Kings and you did this team up for change initiative, Mm -hmm. right? And started building this interesting community around racial justice and asked to roll that out across the NBA, right? Is there lessons you learned doing small community events here in Sacramento, like Gathering Good, that you took to the NBA and across the the nation? Yes. Scaling is my forte. I'm really good at it. (laughs) I know how to do it. I know what's needed, you know, at a time, just because I like to listen and observe and see what's going on. So when I joined the team, the first thing that hit my desk was, We want to do something in the social justice space. We had ownership that was passionate about it, ownership that was supportive about it. And I said, if we're going to do it, we got to go like all the way in. It can't dabble in it. And so we created the first social justice summit done by a sports franchise that was called Team Up for Change. And so the really strategy around it was that we get, you know, one team to team up with build that up and then eventually 
get more teams involved. And so year one, it was us and the Bucks. We did team up for change. So that was the first installment. The second installment this year was with the Bucks. They hosted it in their city. And then George Floyd occurs. And at that point, you know, it was a matter of, okay, what can we do? And we had the playbook. We knew we'd been through it with Stephon Clark. You know, we've seen what a community that grieves, but also community that heals what the possibilities are for a city and how um, NBA teams or really any sports franchise can work together with their community to help build and use their platform for good. So, you know, I get a call from from our, my colleague over at the NBA and the SR department there. And he said, hey, can you present this to all the teams? And I was, you know, they said, absolutely, I'd, I'd love to. And, you know, our, ideally, we want more teams to team up for change. Like, this is an important conversation. We all have a platform. You know, I shared with our executive team. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's let's absolutely get more teams involved. So I think there's a couple things that allows me to do the work that I do with the Kings and and in, in terms of scaling. So yes, my experience with being an entrepreneur and being fearless to just dive into a project that you have to be held accountable for, because that's really important when you're doing events, like even the events that we were doing, yeah, they look like fun events, but we are held accountable for hundreds and thousands of people's lives for small businesses and knowing, you know, what they need, being able to get people to a space. And that's like kind of the the same thing here is like, you know, we are held accountable for many people's perception, many people's lives. There's just a slew of, of considerations that you have when you're developing a concept, when you're developing an initiative and executing on it. And so, you know, for me, it wasn't just, I mean, absolutely everything that I did with Unseen Heroes was, and and that we built, that Rashawn has taken and continues to build was definitely helpful for me in this, at that time. And, and, you know, and and what I continue to do is like, of course, I'm going to learn from everything. I think even going back further, you know, some of my internships, my career in other spaces, like that really helped shape and build what I'm doing now and how I approach these different projects. As we've talked and you told some great stories about, you know, the NBA and what you've done there. You also are an avid traveler. You've gone to Art Basel in Miami. And I'm curious as we're also to kind of wrap this conversation up and reflecting on what you've learned from so many different creative communities and business communities out there in the world. What should Sacramento's creative community learn, borrow, steal from the communities you've visited and participated in? I think one of the biggest things we have to learn is collaboration and inclusivity. This city says that we're the most diverse in the world. You don't see that reflected. And if we can learn anything from not only this year, but from other cities is that, especially like when you go to our Basel South by Southwest, there's so much diversity there from like leadership to the artists, the performers, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That would be the biggest takeaway for Sacramento. I think people are starting to explore it even more so now and be comfortable with it, but it shouldn't be something that like you have to like continue to point out all the time. It should just be a a norm. Well, Maritza, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to get to know more about your background and what community means to you. Thank you for all you've done for our city and for our team and this amazing work you're doing nationally. It's, it's impressive and bravo. 
Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast would not be possible without our sponsors, Page Design Group, Position Interactive, Porter Co., and Capital Area Development Authority. Our technical producers are Johnny Flores and Kate Gonzalez. This podcast is a program of Creativity Plus and recorded from the safety of our homes in beautiful Sacramento, California. Our programming is made possible by a wonderful team of volunteers. Please be sure to rate and review the show. To learn more about Creativity Plus, please visit convenethecreatives.org. And thank you for listening to the Creativity Speaks podcast.